Welcome to the Green Phoenix's Mylar, my look at recovery. This is a podcast that will be focusing on mental health, understanding recovery, and restoring a voice to those who it has been taken from. Welcome back to my look at recovery, joined again with Pastor Larry Grayway, who has become a permanent fixture, whether he realizes it or not. In our last episode, we talked a little bit about toxic positivity and the damage that it causes. And today we're going to follow in the same general realm and talk about negative messages, how they're sent, why it's so hard to change the way you think, and the danger of oversimplifying when people just tell you that you shouldn't think a certain way. And I I went through training back in 2014 to become a certified peer specialist. And one of the things that we were taught was about the power of negative messages and how difficult it can be when we're working with someone to help them change their beliefs. And so we're using some of that information as a basis for this conversation. I I sent a copy over to Larry so he could kind of look it over. And Larry, now that you've had a chance to kind of look over, what were some of your takeaways? What were some of my takeaways? Um, Negative messages are bad. Thank you, Captain Obvious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, um, probably uh, really to, to simplify, because I know we're going to expound on some of these things, is the negative messages reaf- reinforce negative self-images. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is when... When we already struggle with self-confidence, self-image, all of those things that many of us deal with, um, we feel the effects of these negative messages more deeply. They, They impact us more. Where if we have a little bit more confidence in who we are, a little bit more confidence in what's going on, not arrogance, but just solid footing in our in ourselves those comments tend to roll off us a little bit easier or negative messages tend to to not have that same depth of effect but for people that are already struggling with impact already struggling with and it's let's face it a large majority of the people struggle with self-image and confidence so the negative messages just compound those things and that i think that um I think that was it, and I love that that in there, there you know they talked about barriers to recovery are often negative messages that reinforce that negative image or that negative self-talk. So that would be a couple of the the things that just bounced around. So the way that I was taught this, and it makes sense, they drew this image on the board of a head, and so you start with your experiences because your experiences, your life experiences, especially at a young age where you're really starting to learn about the world, 
Those experiences shape your beliefs. They shape how you see the world, how you think about yourself, what you believe about yourself. And those initial messages that you're getting from the people that are around you that are supposed to be the ones that are taking care of you aren't always positive, especially if you're dealing with things that if you grow up in an abusive household, if you grow up and you're on the spectrum or you have some other type of mental health issue that isn't always identified right away, or you have what is perceived to be uh, behavioral issues, or you have people that are telling you, oh, it's okay, we know you can't do this, that, or the other. And so these beliefs come part of these messages that are coming in. I, become your experiences and they, they form your beliefs about who you are. Mm -hmm. So as you get older, what happens is you, when you have new messages coming in, all those messages are getting filtered based off of your beliefs. So if you are, are raised to believe that you have worth and that you have value and you're a person that can make a difference, and someone comes along and they bombard you with all this negative stuff, you're not going to take that in as readily because that's not what you believe about yourself. Whereas the opposite is also true. If you are told most of your life that you're worthless, that you can't do anything, people can tell you a hundred amazing things and point out all the things that you're doing well, and it may come through but it's not going to stick. And then that one thing, and it doesn't even have to be something that's like really negative. It can be a constructive criticism. That's going to be the only thing that sticks because it affirms what you already believe about yourself. I mean, if you think about it, that's a lot of why it's really hard to change someone's mind about their political views, about their religious beliefs, about their identity in anything because they have that belief of who they are and while over time you can kind of help them they have to change how they see themselves and what they believe about themselves I agree with you on pretty much all of that there's one thing I want to add to it um, because you, you talked about not being able to change I think part of our problem today is we lack a solid foundation in our culture. And what I mean by that is um, people are confused. They, there is such a push to find your own identity, do whatever you like, do whatever feels good, do whatever you know makes you happy and all these things, the problem is nobody really knows how to define that. And they're always shooting at a moving target and never feel satisfied, never feel complete. And they're, they're shooting at this wandering target. And so in a way, I agree, hey, people need to have the ability to make choices, need to have the ability to make those choices with you know, some reasonable amount of respect. But the problem, is unless you have an anchor point or a base 
in your life a foundation, you really don't know what you're shooting at. You don't know if you ever accomplish it. Um, it's like when I talk to people and they say, well, I just want to be okay. Well, what's okay? I don't know. Well, how can you ever know if you're okay? I don't know. Well, then we need to define that so that when you do get to that point, you know where you're at. And that helps reinforce who you are. It's hard to overcome those negative thoughts and feelings if you don't ever have an anchor point in your life. That's, that's where this is, this is where I want to be. This is who I want to be. This is what I believe about myself. Does that make sense? It does. I think what I'm trying to point out, though, is that we're not going to be able to wave a magic wand and magically change what someone is thinking. And it can be really frustrating on the outside to see all these things that we see in somebody else that they're not capable of seeing for themselves. But we have to... You can eventually overpower that filter. It is possible, but the likelihood of that happening is so low that what you need to do instead is try to help the other person overcome their own filter. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and we can get into this a little bit deeper because... I do agree it's it's one of the hardest things we ever overcome are those negative filters in our lives. Is it possible? Yes. But it is very difficult. It takes a long time. Um, how many times in our conversations, hey, you didn't get to this place in one day, you're not going to get out of it in one day. Um, it's It takes time and actually I think it sometimes takes longer to overcome what years have built in some ways. And well, I need to rephrase that. It can be overcome, but it, it's just going to take a long time. I think one of the important things is that the individual needs to be allowed and encouraged to take ownership over their own thoughts and beliefs. And what happens all too often in my experience, and one of the reasons why I struggled as much as I did for as long as I did to get to this place, is because I didn't feel like I was being allowed to. And so because for so long I'd been beaten down whether intentional or not, whether it was well-meaning or not, told that I wasn't going to amount to anything, that I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't good enough, I wasn't going, that I, that what I wanted to do wasn't really what I wanted. That, that was a big one. Or being told that what I remembered and what I was experiencing wasn't really what was happening, what wasn't really what was going on. Okay, let me ask this question then, because um, you brought some some good things there. I want to ask this: What do you? What are some examples of negative messages 
that people tend to throw out, and I know this goes back a little bit to what we talked about last week, uh, or last time we recorded, um, what are some of the negative messages that maybe we don't even intend to be negative, but are negative messages, or how, how do you see those negative messages coming across? Give me some examples, I, I guess, is basically what I'm looking for. So one example I can think of is that there is a certain individual in my life who thinks they are being supportive, thinks they're being encouraging, but is always telling me that the path that I'm pursuing is not the right path. So for example, photography is what I love doing. It is how I really am able to fully communicate with the world, everything that's going on in a way that I can't do any other way because I just don't know how. And when I first got started in seriously doing it, most of what I focused on was nature photography. I would go out and hike, take the camera and take photos. But that's not really where my passion was. And quite honestly, you can only take a picture of a tree so many times before you get bored with it. Unless that's where your passion is. And so as I started to grow and develop more confidence, I started realizing that to tell the stories that I wanted to tell, I I needed to have people. And so I started to shift my focus in telling stories and using people in my photos, even if it was just myself. And I would try to share this with this individual who kept trying to push me back over and to focusing on nature photography because that's where my skills lied. That's where all the money-making opportunities were at, whatever. Or even when I was younger, I'm pretty sure I am one of the few people whose parents encouraged them to be an artist when they wanted to be a doctor. I spent the first 20-some-odd years of my life focused on becoming a doctor. And I was in college when, uh, mid-20s, when I finally realized that wasn't going to happen. And so I shifted my focus because I realized that becoming a doctor wasn't the only way that I could help people. So I shifted majors to sports management with a recreation emphasis. It turned out not to be a good fit either, but I'm using parts of it now. But the driving force behind all of it was simply the desire to help other people. And yet, they wanted me just to be an artist. And now that I'm trying to become an artist, it's not the right type of art. Okay, well, you bring up a good point on on something. I'm going to dig into something else in just a minute. Because uh, I want to, I think, direct this in another way that I think will help us get to where you want to go um, with this. One of the biggest ways that people in our lives, especially people that are family, is, is really the, probably where it happens the most. But we inadvertently send negative messages to those that we love when we don't see them doing what we think they should do or what we would like them to do, or what we think is best, not taking into account 
the passion that God's put into their life and the opportunities that are there. And there's this tension. Everything in life has a tension to it. And there's this tension between giving good advice and just pushing your own will. Because sometimes we do need to hear, hey, this isn't working really well for you because yeah, maybe you're really passionate about it, but maybe I don't maybe you don't have the skill in this area that you need or you need to get more training in this area because I don't think it's going to work this way. There is there's a way to do that that though it's a hard conversation and maybe a hurtful conversation but doesn't tear somebody down. As opposed to maybe more subtle or they're thinking they're being subtle ways of pushing somebody away by being negative or commenting on things and saying, well, hey, you know what? You really don't have this here, but maybe you should, you know, and they and they start doing it. And, and there's a tension there because we want to be honest. We want to tell somebody the truth of what we see, but we have to do it in a way that doesn't put somebody down as a person or totally crush everything that they have. Let's face it. If I were to, and we've used this a lot, if as a five foot seven man who can shoot pretty well in basketball but cannot dribble to save my life very well, um, my aspirations to go into the NBA would be pretty low. However, if I was working on it, if I was, I mean, shoot, Spud Webb was five seven, the guy could dunk. Um, but if I just simply did not have the talent for it, even though it was my passion and my drive, I would need somebody to encourage me in the right way to help me see, hey, this is probably not the right thing and give me room to fail a little bit. So what do you see and, and, and do you agree with that? And what do you see? How do you give the right I don't want to say criticism, the right um, support and instruction and without being negative, where is that balance and how do you see that working out? So this really goes back to what we talked about earlier. We have to try to understand as much as possible and the best way to do this is to talk to the person to find out what their experiences were like, to understand where their self-beliefs are, and try to explain it to them in a way that is going to be able to work through their filter so that when we're communicating, we're communicating more effectively. So in the example that you gave, if you wanted to go play for the NBA, there are ways that you could encourage, I could encourage you, you know, and help you sit down and figure out, okay, well, if you really want to do this, what are the things that you need to do? What do you need to do in order to make this happen? And then you put together a plan and you encourage them and you support them with that plan. And one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to come to realize that their expectations far outweigh their abilities and they can alter them 
and maybe instead of playing for the NBA, they look at coaching for youth because then it's still a way to stay connected to basketball. It's something that they love doing without necessarily going to the NBA. Another, or they can look towards finding other jobs within the NBA that aren't being on the court. The other option is that they are able to, working through this program and really putting all their effort into it, you never know. You, If you really wanted it and you were really passionate about it, it's not 100%. It's probably not even 1%. But don't kill the dream. Help them see it. Don't tell them they can't do it. Lay it out and show them, okay, well, if you want to do this, this is what needs to happen. Plot it out. So, for example, one of the things that I am working towards doing is starting a nonprofit. And this is something that at this moment seems completely impossible. And I know that it's not going to be easy, but my goal is to create a nonprofit that is making enough that I can hire myself to work for the nonprofit and do that for a living. If you had told me six years ago that my ambition was to become a paid public speaker, I would have laughed at you a lot and then turn around running away from you because I would have thought you were completely nuts. And yet now, that is what I am aspiring to be. And the funny thing is that I have been told for many years that I should be a motivational speaker or a stand-up comic. The comic is never going to happen because I'm really not that funny, at least not intentionally. But I do have a story, and I do believe that I can eventually get to a point where I can get up and do a motivational speaker and get paid for it. But it was because for so long I was told that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't someone that could speak, and quite frankly, wasn't comfortable speaking. But after joining Toastmasters, and for a while it was a supportive environment, and I had a lot of people for a short period of time really pouring into me, really building me up, putting me in situations where there was the opportunity to fail, and I did fall on my face more than once but they were there to encourage me and support me and pick me up and help me keep going on to the next. It's just like when you're riding a bike. I don't know anybody that has gotten on a bike and started riding without any any help at all. You're gonna fall and you're gonna scrape your knees, but as long as you keep getting up, eventually it will become second nature. And theoretically, it's like riding a bike, although it's really not, I found that out last year. Okay. All right. So part of what we wanted to talk about today, and I want us to get there um, over the next 10, 15 minutes or so, um, I'll tell you where I, I want us to land in doing this is just some, some really simple ways that we can help somebody that struggles with a negative self-image. So, but what do you think, what is, what do negative messages 
that people do, what do they do to the individual? How, how, are, how do they affect us and, and what does that look like? Messages of any type impact how we see ourselves. But they have, over time, our beliefs about ourselves can change based on our experiences. So when we're trying to change the way that we think, it's not done through messaging, it's done through experience. So you have to try to find ways to alter your experiences to change your beliefs about yourself so that the messaging comes in differently. So the problem is that with negative messages, when you already have that negative self-image, it's just reinforcing those beliefs. You protect yourself. You protect who you believe you are. Because everybody wants to have their identity. Everybody wants to, to experience who they think they are, whether it's a positive image or a negative image. Because it's, it's scary to change. And so the, that's really words. Okay. Does that make sense? And did it answer your question? Um, yeah, to a point. And that's where... So negative messages... And I, I thought of two things while you were talking about this that came to mind two scenarios where negative messages have really hurt people. Um, one's a little bit more of a, a niche, it's, it's smaller, but I think of people with eating disorders tends to be females mostly. Uh, some of them get there for various reasons, so this is not a blanket statement in, at all, but for many of them, it's been a self-image issue where they've seen either people in magazines or movies that seem to have this perfect shape and this perfect whatever and they feel like they need to achieve it and it sometimes it's come through parental sometimes it's come through peer but they feel like they're they've got to to be accepted to achieve this certain body shape and look and it's often lent itself to uh, anorexia or different eating disorders that have led to a really unhealthy lifestyle, even to the point where they get to a place where they're, they're even below the weight that they wanted to attain. But when they look at themselves in a mirror, they still see somebody that is fat or overweight or not the image that they wanted. And it just reinforced that. So it it built into them a belief about themselves because of what they wanted to attain. And they felt like that they couldn't attain that without going to these extremes. That's, that's a, again, that's a small niche, but there's that area where these other images, these messages that are either coming from individuals or even our media that have perpetuated that. The other side of that is I think where we learn most of the negatives in our lives come from really about three or four different places. Um, parents, 
or parental figures because not all of us grow up with our parents. Um, maybe overly critical, not very supportive, whatever that may be, can send negative messages, not even intending you can have really what would look like good parents, but really didn't know how to communicate in a way that was mostly negatives. And as a parent, look, I struggled with that at times where I would be overly critical of my children because they wouldn't do the things I wanted them to do and not give them enough encouragement. And I had to learn to make that shift as a parent. Teachers, teachers can do the same thing. Uh, they're influential people at our lives when we're young. And usually this starts when we're young. You know, middle school is probably the scariest place on the earth. I think it's, you know, one of those places that is, is just one of the most pivotal times in our lives. So we learn that through our teachers, then our peers. And let's face it, our peers, especially when we get to late elementary school to early high school, are the most vicious people you'll ever know. And if you're not getting the right things at home, if you're not getting the right encouragement in other places, your peers just pile that on. And none of us go through middle school years unscathed. We all get some sort of, you know, uh, either good or bad encouragement in that age. And then um, I think, and saying this as a pastor, I think sometimes the church has put out negative images in a well-meaning way, but in the wrong way, has pushed certain things on people. And I think those are probably, and then you add media in there, probably social media now and where it's at, those are probably the top five things that shape our self-image when we're younger. And as parents helping to form, and as if we're teachers or when we're around somebody else's life, helping to shape somebody's self-image is very difficult. Do you agree with those five things? Is there anything else you'd like to add in there? No, I think you're very right. I think that when you're real little, your greatest influence is going to be the adults that are around you that you're, are taking care of you. And then as you get older and you start going to school, the, the peers, there's a reason it's called peer pressure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I escaped most of it by being a loner. But even in and of it, that in and of itself was difficult. I didn't have the influence of people trying to get me to do stupid things. I just did them on my own. I didn't need any help. But there was also that isolation that comes when you're different. And you have these cliques in high school. And... Even amongst the other loners, I wasn't accepted, which one of the best description I was ever given was my junior high school English teacher who said that some people march to the beat of a different drummer and you march to the beat of a trumpet. Because even amongst people who are off doing their own thing, I just was completely not even cognizant of the fact, as I wasn't doing it intentionally, it's just who I was. And I think as we get older, people seem to forget that there 
are still influences on our beliefs. And they are harder to change once you get older because you've, especially if you've lived with your core beliefs most of your life, and then all of a sudden you're trying to change how you believe, it is going to be more difficult because we're not as pliable or as flexible as we are as children as, as we get older. That's just part of life. And so what you, you said, though, about the eating disorders, it may start off that way, but more of that comes from having a sense of control. So typically when someone is struggling with an eating disorder, it's because everything in their life is such chaos that they're latching on to what they think is what, if they just look a certain way, then they'll be accepted. And so it becomes a part of control. And that has a lot to do with it. And it's not just amongst females, which is a common misconception. I have a feeling it impacts more males than we realize, but it's just not noticed. Look, and I I didn't want to get into eating disorders. And like I said, it wasn't a blanket about it, but I have come across those circumstances where the pressure to look a certain way, and I I saw it a lot with pageant, uh, families that did pageants, things like that, um, that created a culture that in order to get there, they would do anything they could, and and it led to a place of addiction to basically the opposite of eating, not addiction to food, but really this addiction to trying to be this image. But now, so we've, we've talked about where negative images and, and negative uh, things can come from. Uh, same thing with a bad therapist or people that are trying to help us, coworkers, people that can, it, it goes on into our lives. It's usually the core starts when we're younger and then it gets piled on or it feels more so because of what we believe about ourselves. So those things that we believe about ourselves um, we pick up on those subtle things from other people, whether they intended it or not, we latch on to those things. So that's one thing, the power of negative messages and, and negative self-talk even starts at a very young age. And it's something that if we don't get uh, the right influence around us at, at the right time can, be a, can carry over the rest of our lives and cause a lot of issues. So how do we flip that? How do we help somebody that maybe is struggling with that negative self-image and all of those things? And then the other side of that is, what are some things, and I'll I'll probably get into that a little bit more, that we can do to encourage, if those of us that have parents or have people around us, to be somebody that's more encouraging, building people up, than always tearing somebody down. I really, truly believe that it comes down to this. You're not going to change somebody's view of themselves by what you say. It's going to be more impacted by what you do. And one of the the best ways to encourage someone is to try to help provide them with experiences 
that help promote a positive self-image. And even when it's a perceived failure, help them recognize what went well. Like I said earlier, like when I first started doing Toastmasters and I got up and I did my first speech, I got all kinds of positive feedback, which was great. And I got some constructive criticism on things that I could do better, which really felt good in the moment. But it didn't just miraculously say, oh, okay, well, now I'm comfortable speaking. I can go out and do this. Because the negative beliefs were still there. But I, because I had a positive experience it in, that encouraged me to get up and do it again. And then when I did it again and, and I wasn't quite as nervous and I was given some tools to work with, it encouraged and it, it built up that confidence slowly. Granted, a lot more slowly than I would have liked. But when you can do things to help someone have a positive experience, even in a hard time, help them focus on the things that went well. And don't just point it out to them. Ask them, okay, well, what went well with this? And it's not so much about bombarding people with positive messages as it is trying to help curtail the negative messages and not adding more negative messages into them. One of the biggest frustrations that I have is when people would ding me on the lack of eye contact or they were telling me I was making really good eye contact when I knew that wasn't true because I don't do that easily and I don't do that well, but I did learn how to fake it. So they thought that I was making eye contact and maybe they were contacting with mine, but I wasn't with them. It's a beautiful thing. And so for a long time, when people would mention that, it would really irritate me, especially because I had a job interview to work as a CPS Actually, it was the day I got my letter telling me that I had passed the test. I was officially now a certified peer specialist. Took the letter with me to the job interview. And you know the reason I didn't get the job? Was because I couldn't make eye contact. And of all the places that you would think that would be understanding and making accommodations for things that you struggle with, it would be a place where they only employ certified peer specialists where they recognize that there are different challenges that everybody has. And it was that one major challenge. Everything else was great. But because I didn't make eye contact, so none of the good stuff mattered to me. It was just that one thing. And it completely devastated me. So instead of allowing the, the negative experiences Really try to help them find the positive in their experiences. Don't negate that there was negative. Just don't focus in on that. Instead, try to focus in on the positive. And I really hope that made sense. It did. Um, and that's, look, I, I want to, because we're going to need to wrap up here in just a minute. Our time's running short. There's no way to talk about this and, and cover it in a few minutes. Um, been a parent for a long time now, uh, about 22 years, almost 23 years. I've got, you know, three kids that 
are only mildly traumatized. Um, I think they do pretty well. I love my kids. Um, I'm really proud of what they've done. What I had to learn as a parent and then helping uh, when I was when I worked in foster care, my job was to help people parent kids that were not their own. Talk about parenting your own kids. Try parenting kids that have a different background and experience and all of that and trying to teach them. So I learned some things through that. Um, one of the things that I learned that's been the most helpful in it and is we don't we, when we're helping somebody through a situation, maybe they've went and done something, maybe they made a large mistake. Instead of dwelling on the mistake that they've made and telling them, well, I can't believe you did this. What were you thinking? You knew that God wouldn't like you to do that. All these things that we tend to do. We think that pointing out all the ways that they failed will help them to not fail again. What I encourage, what I think that we need to do is to encourage somebody that this isn't the end of the world, that we can work through this. Yes, there's probably going to be some consequences of this, but I still love you and, and let me help you through this. Um, and that's not giving them a pass. It's not saying, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's just telling them that, look, even though you made a big mistake or you've failed in this area or whatever that may be that you're still loved that I'm still with you to get through this and that you're going to be okay um, and I'll give you an example I have a I have a friend that their daughter recently made some some really poor choices and it led to more bad choices some, some really devastating things. And what I encouraged my friend, I said, look, you don't need to let her know and tell her all the things she's done wrong. Believe me, she's beating herself up over these things already. What you need to tell her is that you love her, that you're there for her, and that you'll be with her no matter what's coming down the road because there's a lot of pain that's coming down the road. If we can learn that as parents, yes, we do need to correct. And I love that you talked about it. We, if we go through something, I, 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 was, I had somebody, when I was doing youth ministry, I had somebody that was coming up that uh, was in college that I wanted to, you know, I let them speak for me. And then I, I, after that was over, I said, man, great job. This is these things you did well. Here's some things I think you should work on. Because that's what we're doing. I'm trying to teach them. Here's some things that, that I think you should work on. And uh, that person wasn't teachable. Basically, they used words that were really big that teenagers had no idea what they were talking about. And they were just bored to tears. And instead of being teachable, this person was like, well, they should just get up to my level. And I'm like, well, okay, I can't really help you. But that, but my point in that was when I have somebody that's speaking or, and you've seen this, I've talked to you about these things before, the level of relationship that I have with somebody, if they're asking me to be a part of this and what did you think and those things, I want to point out what I thought was really well, but I also want to point out the areas that they can improve and how I think they can improve it or what I think they should work on. 
And doing that in the right way brings that encouragement. Hey, you're moving forward. You still have room to grow, but you're moving forward. And all of this comes down to relationship. The more relationship we have, the better we can speak into somebody's life or tear them down. (laughs) And it comes down to that point. And as an encourager, we should always look for the positives, even if there are some things that we think are improvement. Let's be truthful. We need to be truthful. But to be truthful in a way that helps to build up, not to tear down. So on that, what I would suggest is that when you need to encourage someone to make a change, mm-hmm. what I have found works well, not only with myself, but with other people that I've worked with, is that you say, hey, you did a really good job with this. And I noticed you struggled a little bit with this. Why don't we take what you did really well here and just bump it up a little bit? Or, hey, I saw that you were struggling with this, but here's what you did well on that. How can we make it better? So, for example, I recently was working with someone who blew up. And I sat down with her and explained to her that it's okay to be angry. That there's nothing wrong with being angry. And it's okay to feel what you're feeling. What's not okay is to blow up at a person. That we need to find a better way to do that. So what I encouraged her to do was to next time take stop, take a breath, take a step back and say, I can't handle this right now. We need to come back to it later instead of just going off the handle. And it's something that I personally had to learn and I shared that with her too. And because I was able to share my own experience, I could kind of serve as a little bit of a role model of recovery. Whereas if you've never lived through something and you're just telling somebody, it doesn't have the same impact. So sometimes if you can relate it back to something that you've already been through, not making it about yourself, but using part of your own story as an example, to illustrate how they can overcome something somewhat that helps okay so as we wrap up here Eric, what are what are your final thoughts for today um well i would say this negative messages obviously are damaging over time especially the closer we are to somebody the more impact i'd say just be mindful of how we communicate especially to those people that are closest to us, but really to anybody, but be mindful of how we communicate and the way that we say things and even things that we think could be positive. And and you, you hate these things where we just throw out these little positive sayings. They mean nothing. They don't fix or change anything. They're just nice things to say. But really be an encouragement to the people that are around you Be truthful, but be an encouragement. Always look to build people up. Even in our criticism, and I hate to use the term criticism, but even in in our wanting to help in those areas, make sure that we do it in a way that will build them up and help them to move forward. And 
you know, if that means, hey, this is an area we need to work on, let's work on a plan together to help you get better at this. Um, I'm going to leave it with this. I recently started, I haven't finished it yet. There's a documentary on Tony Hawk. If you know who Tony Hawk, uh, skateboarder from the 80s and 90s, that was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, changed skateboarding world. The documentary, he was like 85 pounds when he went pro. He, everybody made fun of him. He came at a time where he was ridiculed, told that he would not amount to anything. Just all these things. His dad wanted him to go a completely different route in his life. But his dad saw the passion that his very small son that he had late in life and went out and his dad went out, got involved in the pro skateboarding scene and actually created the National Skateboarding Association and was at all of the competitions supporting his son and had absolutely no idea what was going on outside of he knew that this was a passion that his son had that he did not connect with personally. And his son, who was the puniest guy in the world, who had a drive for it, went on to become the greatest legend skateboarding's ever known. That changed the world of skateboarding. And that's the difference between maybe a parent that doesn't understand what's going on, but can recognize the passion and even some of the talent that his son had. And rather than saying, hey, I want you to go be this, I'm not only going to just encourage you to go do it, I'm going to go and go do it with you the best way that I can, which I thought was pretty cool. That is pretty awesome. And as we wrap this up, I just want to remind people because this is really important. Our beliefs are created by our experiences. So regardless of the age of the individual that you're working with or the cognitive ability, just stop and think about that for a moment before you speak. And while it's not possible to be positive all the time, and I'm not saying that you are going to be, at least try to take a step back before putting out more negativity into this world. So until next time, Thank you, and if you have any feedback, we are always open to it.